every successful person got there by going through tough times. Success is a hard-ass teacher who likes to knock you around along that journey. You know, it takes real guts to not give up and keep going. We'll hear stories about failures and how these leaders flip the script to create success. I'm John Schultz. Join me and let's discover how success is never really overnight. Welcome to the John Schultz Podcast, the myth of overnight success. And my first episode in season two is Mr. Eric Gertler. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thank you, John. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, very excited. Very excited. Season two kickoff. So, uh, Eric, huge career. I know I'm supposed to be brief, but and I'll try to be, but uh, it's not easy. So uh, early in your career, you started... Uh, as an attorney with Skadden Arps, which is interesting, you founded and served as CEO of several technology companies in the early 2000s. You did some public service stints. I love it. You served under multiple mayoral administrations in New York City. You were commissioner, president, and CEO of Empire State Development. One of my favorite things about you is you wrote a book. I know I tried. It's, it's impossible. Uh, called Prying Eyes, Protect Your Privacy from People Who Sell to You, Snoop on You, and Steal from You. That's an interesting topic. And today, obviously, uh, you are the uh, chairman, executive chairman and CEO of U.S. News & World Report. Welcome, Eric, to the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. Clearly, my mother called you. To, uh, to ensure that you provided a very kind introduction. But, but nonetheless, it's a, it's a privilege and pl pleasure to be here today. Well, thanks for being here. When people start out in life, I think a lot of what we are are formed early on. You know, yeah. we may not remember, but a lot of those events shape our lives. So I want to start out saying, uh, asking you, where are you originally from and how would you describe yourself growing up? Yeah, so uh, I'm from Montreal. Uh, in uh, in Quebec, uh, Canada, and I would say I had a you know pretty you know normal simple childhood. Uh, we grew up as a middle class family, um, and um, you know my my mother uh, who worked full time until literally just before COVID. She was a librarian. Um, and my dad was a furniture executive entrepreneur who, who actually uh, grew up in Western Canada in a small town called Saskatoon and came to McGill as a, um, on a sports scholarship. And so, um, you know, as you can imagine, based on both of their interests, sports was a big part of our upbringing and my dad would push sports and my mother would push books. Um, but um, uh, you know, the only and, and the only other thing that I that I would say, which I think is important and ultimately had a big impact on me is that uh, growing up in Quebec, uh, you know, the late 60s, the early 70s, um, you know, historically, it was a time when um, the French were asserting their um, rights um, and wanting to push forward um, sort of primacy of the French language. And that was uh, part of the whole separatist movement of wanting to separate Quebec from the rest of Canada. And it created a certain degree of anxiety. It created a, an uncertainty for the, for the future. Um, and, um, you know, while I predominantly lived in the English part of Montreal, I had many friends 
who are French. I played sports with um, immigrants from all backgrounds. So I was exposed to a, a very multicultural, multilingual um, environment. But there was no question that that anxiety was in the back, uh, in the background all the time. So, so how do, uh, interesting, right? Like, you know, you had, you, you had anxiety. How, how did you handle that? And how did it shape maybe what interests you as a kid? Like what was, I, I know you said sports, you said books. Obviously those are two topics, but how did that shape your interests? And, and, and how did you deal with anxiety? I mean, yeah. one of the sure. biggest things we're going through today, yeah. mental health is like dealing with anxiety uh, of what's going on in the yeah. world. So, so I, I think in, 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 you know, look at that regard, I'm, I'm a, I was a kid. It, it was very present. Um, I remember when, um, for example, like, like, because uh, I walked by his house, um, or, 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 you know, one of the houses of, uh, at that time, the British ambassador. There was a, a kidnapping of a British ambassador, um, and so we knew about that as a kid. I mean, you know, back then, you know, things were a lot, you know, a lot simpler back then. So it, it wasn't as though it affected me on a day to day basis, but it was the political environment. Uh, you know, so I, that made it uncertain in terms of what would happen. For me personally, um, you know, there were a lot of advantages. I learned French. We took French every day in school. Um, I had friends from many different uh, backgrounds. Um, it, it was in, in, in many ways an opportunity to learn about people from all these different communities. So in that sense, um, it helped expose me to many different cultures. And Montreal back then was a really cosmopolitan, uh, cosmopolitan city. I don't think that's, it's not the same anymore, but it was, um, um, but it was when I was growing up. That's cool. I love that. Yep. It's great. You, you, you're able to see so many different things at such a young age. Not everyone yep. gets that uh, ability. So, okay. So you're, you're growing up. Like, what did you want to be when you grew up? Like, what were your aspirations as a young person? Yeah. You know, the, you know, fireman, a movie star, like, like where did, where did you fit into the, so, the you know, you got to understand, um, you know, growing up in Montreal, there was one thing that mattered and that was hockey. And, you know, you grew up at a time when the Montreal Canadians were winning the Stanley cup and they were, you know, they won, you know, five years in a row. And so, um, as, as a kid, you know, given that, you know, hockey is in the DNA of all you know, all Canadians. I wanted to be a hockey player. I mean, I played a lot of hockey uh, growing up. Um, and, uh, you know, the thrill and love for, you know, for the game um, is, uh, you know, was, was, was always present. But, but, I, but I will say on, um, uh, you know, sort of on the, on, on the flip side, early on when I would look at people and, you know, as a kid, you look at people, how are they succeeding and who's doing what? At the time, I was just exposed to a lot of people, family members, non-family members um, who were lawyers. And I just thought that they seemed to be having uh, an impact on society or doing um, more interesting things or having different conversations. And. I just, um, it's just something that was sort of, you know, tucked in the back of my mind. And I think, as you pointed out, I ultimately did 
um, work at Skadden Arps for a number of years. And, you know, looking back, I think that that had a big influence on what I would ultimately want to be at least. And, and it turned out for a short period of time, but, but it was great training. And when you went to college, was that part of why you went to college and what you went to college for? Or what, what were you thinking as you entered college for your, your, yeah. your life's career? So I, I, I will tell you, just to go back and make that connection back to what was going on in, um, in Quebec and the uncertainty. And in the mid-70s, um, the Parti Québécois was um, elected uh, to government in, you know, in, in the province of Quebec on a uh, uh, movement, on, on, on the separatist movement. I mean, there they had run on uh, a platform to separate Quebec from the rest of Canada. And, and I remember that that night, my mother turned to me and said, you're going to go to school in the United States. So you better keep up your grades and do well, because it's very expensive to go to school in the United States. But that's where you're going to... And I didn't know what that meant at the time. I didn't know. And it's one of those things you and I talk about that it was serendipity. I, did, I like, you're, 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 you know, you're a kid and, and, and all of a sudden this thing gets, you know, uh, gets said to you. And, and then a number of years later, my mother was the one that wrote away for applications for me. We didn't know a lot about going to college in the United States. And, you know, I was, I, I was fortunate. I went to Brown university. Um, and it was a time that exposed me to a lot of things that, I mean, I was very focused in high school sports and doing well in school and students council and, and, you know, helping in the community. But Brown exposed me to the arts. It exposed me to people from all around the world. But I will tell you, when it came to graduating from college, I didn't have a clue. I mean, like most like most um, most kids at that time, everybody was looking at Wall Street. And I started to, um, you know, apply for apply to jobs to go to, to go to wall street. Um, that's what everybody's doing. Um, that's not ultimately what I did, but you know, you sort of, you know, move in the direction that, that everybody's doing. Uh, and I'm glad that I didn't end up going to, uh, you know, going in, go, going in that direction. Um, uh, but, um, yeah, like, you, you know, as, as, as you point out and we talk a lot, sometimes, you know, your career just takes you in, in many different, you know, directions. Yeah, I think most of the time that's the case. We yeah. just forget that. Like, we think yeah. we're in control of all of our moves. Right. But I think once you start flowing in a direction of what you're interested in, you know, all these things sort of show up. So was Skadden Arps your first job? So it, 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 it was not. Um, uh, before going to law school, I, I took, um, I, I, I worked for two years. I spent a year. Uh, as an editorial intern at U.S. News and World Report, um, and I really, at, at, at that point, I, um, uh, by the way, talk about not going to Wall Street. I made, that year, I graduated from college, I made $12,750 a year. That was my, that was my salary, uh, but I learned so much about the world, and I was able to hone my writing skills, and um, it was really, a, a, you know, an, an amazing, um, you know, opportunity. And then I left and went to Paris. I'd spent my junior year in Paris, and um, I, I did um, studies at, at uh, both the Sorbonne and, and Sciences Po. And then I worked at the, um, at the International Herald Tribune. And I had a wonderful job at the International Herald Tribune. 
Um, and that was fun living in Paris. And again, you know, I didn't, I went to Paris not knowing what I was going to do and sort of made a sort of a very complete, uh, and fulfilling life in, in Paris. And then I went to law school and then I, um, I worked at Skadden Arps and I worked, um, in the Washington DC office. Um, and they were, they had just formed, um, a group to do exclusively media, corporate regulatory media work. Um, and at this point, I knew that that was an area that I wanted to be in. Um, in fact, in law school, I'd written my law review article on, on the newspaper business and uh, uh, the failing newspaper doctrine. And so um, I went to Skadden and it was, uh, it was terrific. I, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, uh, I wasn't you know, there for a long time. I was there for about two years. But I learned the basic training. I learned the importance of of um, the work of a of, of an attorney. Um, developed very good work habits, I think, um, and you know, and certainly enjoyed it. What were some of the challenges uh, in your mind back then? If you you know can remember, it's not that long ago that you felt in early part of your career path. Like what what were what were some of the catalysts and challenges you sure. felt? So I think early on, um, I, you know, I, I came to the realization that I knew very little. Like, um, I, you know, I, uh, you know, graduated from law school. I did well. And, I, and, you know, you go to this prestigious law firm. I, I didn't know anything. I, I didn't like, you know, I spent three years researching. I didn't really um, understand how to research. I didn't you know, I would study issues um, in journalism and, and then understood that, you know, you could do all this reading and there's a whole other level of, of understanding. And um, and so I um, that led me to and, and, and when you, you've talked about my career, I've done a lot of different things. What what it's forced me to realize is when you do something new, you have to spend a lot more time listening than talking. You've got to absorb and learn because in so many of these situations, you know so little and, you know, not to get over your skis. And, and I think that that is one of the lessons that, that I learned early on. I love it. I, I, you know, I feel that every day. I mean, you know, if I'm buying a new deal, you know, in real estate, you know, it's a new market or it's a market that you haven't been in a while. I, I actually think the fun part about success for me has been everything I've learned and that I can keep learning. The minute I you stop learning, I think it's all over. Uh, yeah. All right. So and, and by the way, I agree. Life is, life is, uh, it's, it's, it's learning all the time and things change. So, um, you know, and, and, and so I, I, you know, I couldn't agree with you more, John, you got to keep up with the times. Totally. And especially, obviously, your business, it's even harder, right? Because okay. you, you are what the times are every day. So, okay, here you are, you're early. You know, I've been reading a lot about uh, people lately and, and what makes people successful. And a lot of it's about relationships, who you've surrounded yourself with. You know, that's the saying, the five per people you, you, you hang around with are, are sort of how your life goes. And so tell me about the three most or, you know, two, three, whatever you want about the most influential people in your life and how they impacted you early on. Cause I know I had my two or three 
that I, you know, you know how like you could forget what you ate last week, but you never forget that impact, right? So yeah. who are who are the people that affected you? So look, I, I mean, you know, I I, I talked about. I, I think, um, I think that the that the two most influential people have been my my parents in in very different ways. I mean, my you know my dad who was you know an entrepreneur who instilled in me. Uh, a very strong work ethic uh, to to always do things in a very principled way, and and pushed me. Um, you know, I would have a I'd play a hockey game and do well, and my dad'd be like, "Yeah, but in the second period, you hit the crossbar. You should have scored." And you know, sort of um, pushed me, and and would also force me to think about. You know, what are you thinking about? Where do you want to go? Every year we'd go for a walk and he'd say, what do you have planned for the next year? Where do you um, where do you want to go? Where where are you going? And he forced me to think about those things. And um, and he had these very simple expressions that, um, you know, he, he had one that um, used to always say, you can always win if you lose with a smile. And, and I, for years, I was like, well, why do you want to lose? Um, but, but it was, it was about the bigger picture. It was about grace. It was about elegance. It was about, um, you know, being principled. Uh, my mother, um, you know, was very different. My mother was very much, um, I mean, still, she's very much of a, you know, an, an, an intellect. She was a librarian, um, very proud of my mother. She, um, uh, has always followed her passion. She had two real passions other than her family, books and travel. She spent the first half of her life on books as a librarian. And the second half, she ran a travel agency and loved to travel herself or vicariously through, through everybody. And, you know, she, um, you know, I, I mean, instilled a, a work ethic as well. My mother worked, always worked very hard. And, you know, the way she uh, balanced a, a full-time career and bringing up you know, three boys. And uh, I mean, she's amazing. But, you know, she exposed me to books, to culture, to learning, to curiosity, to travel. Um, I, I think the, the she helped to, for myself and my brothers to, you know, um, help, help provide us to be more well-rounded people. Um, so I feel very fortunate that I had, you know, two two parents that had different influences on me. So what would you say? I mean, that, that's amazing, right? Uh, to have that and to, 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 to feel that is, is, is so good. Uh, what would you say the most challenging thing that happened to you early on in your career that made you the most confident in yourself? You know, we, we all don't want to go through things that don't feel good, but I know for me, those is that's what made me the most confident. That's what made me feel the next time I can bust through something. Is there anything that you feel is significant for you? Uh, you know, I, I think for me, the um, you know there, there there were a number of significant things you know early on, and then that sort of played through. And uh, you know, when I was a kid, for example, I used to go work out at the local Y, and I remember one day. Uh, you know, showering and there wasn't soap. And I said to my dad, you know, there's no soap in the shower. He goes, what am I supposed to do? Why don't you go? I'll put you in touch with the president of, of the wall. You go deal with it. And, I, and I'm and i like, okay. And he set me up in the meeting and I go in and talk to him and I say, you know, there's no soap. And the guy says, okay. 
what do you want me to do about it? I go, it's your job. He goes, and I remember him saying, you know, the easiest thing in the world to do is criticize. Come in with a solution. You know, come in and don't. And, you know, and that that has stuck with me because, you know, my career has not been one where I've been at the same company for many, many years. I mean, yes, I've been at U.S. News many times. I think I've had five different stints at U.S. News. But as, as you pointed out, I've, I've started companies and I've written books and I've done public service. Uh, and, and I've been very lucky to be able to follow many of my passions. But but to that point, it's that I've, I've accepted that that you can go into a place, you're going to make mistakes, you're, 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 you're going to have to try and figure it out. But but in the end, if you sort of like, you, you know, you, you're reasonable, you respect people, you'll get to the answer. And, and I think it's more of like, I, I've learned that I'm comfortable being uncomfortable. I'm, I'm, I'm that, that, that it, it's okay not knowing all the answers. You'll, you'll get there. Just don't think like you, like, don't go tell people like you have, you have all the answers when, when, when you don't. Right. No, that's good. I love how your father, he made you lean into a, a situation early on. But, but what I also love is you actually remember that. Like, yeah. like we don't, if, when we look back and are asked these questions, the things that, you know, again, there, you can only remember so much of a long life, right? The things that it come yeah. up from your consciousness is amazing that it, that had the impact. So I love that. It, it uh, is. It is. It, you're, you're right. It's so funny. The stories that you remember or you, you say something and these, these little things that at the time you don't really understand it, nope. and then you realize it has an impact. It's it's what makes yeah. uh, life fun. Yeah. All right, so today you are the chairman and CEO of U.S. News & World Report, an amazing publication, I might say. Can you give us a little bit about the history of the business? Yeah, so first of all, it, it's been, um, I mean, such a privilege to have this role as uh, executive chairman and CEO. And um, this year, is, uh, is an important year because it's the 90th anniversary of U.S. News and World, wow. World Report. And, you know, and, and, and think about it. How many businesses are really around for 90 years? And it started uh, 90 years ago. David Lawrence started it as a newspaper. And it was called a newspaper that was called U.S. News. And then uh, about 13 years later, started a separate publication called World Report. And then combined it into U.S. News and World Report, and um, and and the the amazing thing is, um, um, over the years, the distribution of our content has changed. We've gone from a newspaper to a weekly magazine to an all digital platform, but what hasn't changed is our values. Uh, to provide, uh, you know, objective, important journalism and our values and our values of making sure that we provide consumers with important information to make the right decisions. And even the news information that we provide to provide the context for our subscribers and our readership to understand what is going on, um, you know, in, in, in this world. And, um, uh, you know, and then as part of, as part of that journey, which I think is important, in 1984, uh, Mort Zuckerman, who's my uncle, then acquired uh, U.S. News, um, and 
you know, Mort um, continued to have an incredible respect for important journalism and high quality content. And that's been part of our business um, for 90 years. You know, you may have to do a new ranking, the oldest companies to still exist. No, I'm not kidding. Yeah. If you, I mean, if you look at most companies, they're, they're not here for that, that long a period of time. That's yeah. incredible. I mean, most companies fail the first five years. So yeah. good for you and, and the company, and it's still going. Uh, so, okay. So then w what would you say the main focus is, it's, it's been around so long, of your businesses today? And how has the publication evolved? Um, so- um, so it, 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 it's important that the, the focus remains the important pillar of uh, providing, you know, objective, well-sourced information, um, very often supported by, uh, by data. Um, uh, important that we help consumers through their important decisions. And, and, and what, what do I mean by that um, uh, in education? We help consumers um, make the best decisions on where to go to college. We help patients and caregivers on, you know, the best hospital for their surgeries. Um, we are very focused on that on that user journey, um, and um, and then of course um, we're constantly thinking about the verticals. I mean, um, we're we're a multifaceted digital media company at this point, and and we have deep verticals and, you know, deep content in verticals such as uh, finance and travel and education and health and certainly um, news. So all of that um, is sort of where we, you know, we, we focus on in terms of the, in terms of the business. I, I love that. You, you, you do have, you, you go deep, you dive deep. Yeah. It's not just cursory news flying at you every day. Yeah. That's what I think makes your company different. But, you know, there's been this debate over the value of your rankings lately. Yeah. So, so what's your perspective on that? Because I know that's been a big topic of conversation. So um, I knew you'd probably ask me about rankings. It's certainly been in the news for the, for, for the last year. Um, I just wanted to just go back on the, the last question. I mean, what, what, what's interesting about all the verticals that we do is that in many ways, our business reflects the macroeconomic uh, trends. And so if you think about it, when there's lots of news going on, people are looking at our news. Um, when, um, uh, when the economy is not working as well, um, pe people or interest rates go up to use, you know, because that's very specific to your business in real estate. People aren't interested in looking at our mortgage products. Um, Post-COVID, everybody wants to travel. Our travel business is doing really well. So it's very interesting the way we um, reflect the, the, the larger you know, macro trends. So to go to, 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 to look at rankings, um, I, I think it's important to understand why we do rankings. I mean, rankings is our uh, particular way of doing our journalism. And um, you know, our rankings are not like, um, you know, other companies, it, you know, that it's subjective. Who's the best looking guy um, in Hollywood? Um, you know, we, we, we have um, lots and lots of data that we use for our hospital rankings. 
We have a methodology that's 275 pages. But, but the way we look at it is that in a world where you are overwhelmed, inundated with a lot of information, where things are so complex, we use our rankings as a way to help you as a consumer understand a complicated area in a way that you can compare and contrast institutions. So um, in, you're, you're, going to, you're going to pick a college. As a kid, that is the single most important decision you're now making. It's the first important decision. And um, depending upon where you go, it's very expensive. It can be as much as $100,000. The admissions process is, is opaque. You're spending four years. You can, you, you can end up with debt. So what we do is we then give you a roadmap to compare and contrast institutions to help you figure out the best way to go. Now, uh, we accept that we're not the only place. You should use other resources. Um, but, that's, but that's what we do on the rankings. And, you know, um, education, uh, universities today, these are multi-billion dollar uh, institutions. Hospitals are large institutions. They're competitive. And when you're essentially um, comparing and contrasting those institutions, um, you are, um, in a sense, holding them accountable because you're comparing them, then you know, they're competitive. We're, comp you know, we're, we're, we're doing our role as journalists. And so there's often, there's often friction, but, and I'll just end by saying this, but if you go in the history of journalism, you know, if media companies are doing their job well, um, you know, there's tension, whether it's between um, a media company, uh, you know, a newspaper and the government or, you know, whatever the case may be, the, the, the important part is to have the right values, to have the right principles, to do it um, in, in the right way. For us, our North Star has always been the consumer. We want to make sure we're helping that consumer get through that journey. So it's a little bit of a long-winded story. I'm very passionate about, about the, the, the journalism we do, and, um, and I want to make sure we continue to hold to a sort of very high level of principles and ethics in, in terms of what we do. Yeah. And listen, you went through it and obviously, uh, you know, you are where you are now and everyone, you know, got to learn a little bit more about the process of it. Right. So you're very transparent. Yeah, it was and look, it's, it's also evolving. I mean, how we did the rankings 40 years ago is very different than, than what we do now. I mean, we continue to evolve. We continue to refine what we look at. Um, the world is not stagnant. Our rankings you know, have had to continue to evolve and, 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 and refine themselves. I love it. All right. So we're at this really interesting time with AI. Okay? Yep. We're just starting to see little point solutions of how it can help us in our work and in all the different things that people are testing, right? Because it's just one yep. big data dump of stuff that now we can see insights that we really could not see in uh, or our brains just can't do it as fast as the quantum computing that's doing this. So where do you see the challenges for what a journalist will be? How will AI assist that journalist? Because you're seeing now, I guess, AI and journalists combine in certain yeah. ways on how they're going to write articles. And 
are we going to ever know who really is writing an article anymore? Like, like there's so many questions to yeah. this that I think it is sort of yeah. interesting. It, you know, John, it's, it's, it's a great question. There's lots to unpack in, in what, what you're saying. Um, and we're, we're in early days, uh, you know, very early days. But uh, from everything that I read, from everything I understand, from everything that, that you read and understand, this could be, uh, you know, if not the one of the most disruptive technologies that we will face in our in our lifetime. And um, it'll certainly have uh, huge disruptive possibilities in the media business. And so many media companies are very concerned and, 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 and we should be. I mean, you do all of this work and then it all gets subsumed by AI. Um, and. Um, and so that's very worrisome. It, it really, um, it, it really creates huge disruption in terms of media company, uh, bus- business models. Um, now to date, we have not yet seen that it is, um, it hasn't worked perfectly, but again, this is like, we're in, we're in the top of the first inning. So, um, the stories that have come out have been, you know, ones that have been considered to be plagiarism. You have that case about that lawyer that used AI to present a brief and all the all the articles were wrong, but it'll get better. Um, uh, it, it'll get really smart. And, and I think what we're focusing on and, and uh, we have our tech team looking at all the ways that we can incorporate it. Um, but at the end of the day, what what we are focused on is we have a brand that um represents trust. It's a trusted brand. And we have to make sure that in AI, in a world of AI, in a world of disruptive technologies, that we incorporate the best parts, but we're still able to um, lead and direct the consumer in a way that they know that they can trust what they're, what they're reading. Um, but I think, I think that there's, uh, we're a long way from a finished product. Um, Media in general, there's going to be uh, you know potential lawsuits around this, around the the intellectual property right about the content. Um, so there is lots to worry about and lots lots that's unknown. Uh, I I don't have all the answers. Yeah, it's it's uh, it, I feel it's like when the internet just started and Napster yeah just kicked in and music rights and intellectual property rights and. It's, you know, and I think whatever we're thinking today or whatever we're saying in this podcast today will be nothing like what it really is in the next two, three years. Yeah. The interesting thing I ba- I think about what's going to happen, I just think this is going to be happen happening so much faster. Like the internet yeah. took 10, 12, right? It took many, yeah. many years for, because everyone didn't have a smartphone. Yeah. We're, we're, the cloud during COVID one, right? It expanded how data is stored. So we, we're just so further ahead to actually incorporate this now. So yeah. it is pretty exciting. Uh, yeah. And, 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 you know, to your point, I think it, it, it was the fastest uh, adopted technology in, you know, in the history of technologies when, when AI was introduced. So. so then, you know, what would be your top priority, would you say, uh, for the business moving forward? Yeah. So, you know, I look at it sort of several fold. One is it's still important that we continue to pursue our mission of helping consumers make decisions. We continue to emphasize the principles 
of the type of journalism that you know that that we do, uh, high quality content. Um, y- you know the uh, where technology takes us. And by, by the way, for us, it's not just AI. It's uh, you know Google is the is the big you know uh, uh, rampway in, into um, you know into um, you know, content on, on online. We're a very SEO, search engine optimization-driven business. Um, and then, um, and then I'd say for us, it's it's ensuring that we're completing the user journey, that we're making sure that we're providing a fulfilling, engaged user journey for our consumers. That when they come to us, we can complete that cycle. They come to us for education. It's not just about the rankings. And in fact, rankings is a small part of what we do. It's about how do you have the right experience? How do you finance college? How do you get the right advice? It's all of that that we package. We've got to make sure we continue to do a great job of doing that. So, and what I keep hearing throughout this entire podcast is consumer focused. Like, yeah. Yeah. that's all you think about every day is how am I serving someone? Yeah. So, I want to bring up another topic when it comes to service, right? You've yep. served in the government. Like you said, you had yep. five stints at U.S. News and World Report, but you've done a lot of things in between yep. all this stuff What you know, during your career. So what lessons did you learn serving in government? And, and how did that help you in your career when you're in and out and moving on to your yep. next thing? So I, I – um... Uh, well, thank you for asking about that. I, I mean, the, the the government service work that I've done, I'm very proud of it, and it's been a privilege to serve, um, you know, the people of of New York City and the people of New York State. I started my first stint was um, for Mayor Bloomberg. Uh, my last stint was um, for New York State under Governor Cuomo, and I ran Empire State Development, which is the agency focused on, you know, on uh, economic development, on on job growth, of bringing companies uh, to New York, of infrastructure, um, and uh, and you know, leading uh, through COVID was you know an incredibly challenging role, and I'm so proud of our team and um, and all the work that that everybody in in, in government at New York State did. I, you know, I think the uh, you know, a few of the lessons. First of all, it's in crisis where you understand that government really matters. Um, um, you know, we can go on in our normal lives and, uh, you know, government certainly plays an impact, impact. But when there's a crisis, the role of government becomes that much more important. The second point is you realize leadership truly matters. Um, we need to have um, smart uh, charismatic, engaged uh, leaders. Um, it's the only way this country moves forward. And um, and I think the the last thing that that I've learned is that um, you know I have a lot of friends in the private sector that um, you know sometimes dismiss dismiss government. Um, getting things done in government is so much harder than in the in the private sector, it's three-dimensional. You don't just have the two-dimensional issues that you always have in, a, in, in the private sector. You have the third dimension of dealing with the public, of dealing with all of these other, um, you know, all of these other sectors, of dealing with the people. 
And, and you know, let's remember, you're, you're doing things that, if done right, will have a huge impact on society. One, one of my great privileges was, was being part of or, or leading the last part of the completion of Moynihan Train Hall. And very proud of the work that we did as a, as you know as a team, and um, but that will be hopefully around for decades. I right. mean, a hundred years, and so you have to think about it in the context of not just doing it, but how is this going to interplay with community and people, transportation, which is changing over the next decades and hundred years. So these are complicated projects, and um, I loved it. Quite frankly, I loved I loved serving. And I felt very privileged to be able well, to do so. It's amazing that you did. It just, you know, you're a great person. And, you know, I know you that you're constantly serving people in whatever you do. That's just okay. your mentality. You know, I, what I love about this podcast uh, and the people on it, you know, you said back in an earlier segment, you got comfortable being uncomfortable as a young person. Okay. Yeah. There's no way you could have gotten through COVID if that wasn't something that was ingrained in you as a young person. So it's funny how we can, we, we always get what we can handle. And a lot of the things that we learn as we're going through our challenges in our lives, yeah. prepare us for things that we never expected to happen. And we do successfully and kudos to you. And I, I want to end this uh, podcast with uh, one last question. You wrote an interesting book pretty much about, the industry you're in and what it did. So if you were going to write another book today, what would the book be about? Wow. Um, so, you know, my book, which was on privacy, which um, uh, was very early on, it was the first consumer book about consumer privacy, uh, about the, the age in which um, data now had begun to define who you were as a human being, how you were being tracked and, um, I had had a business um, related to identity theft and credit information, and that sort of flew that 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 came out of that experience. Um, but I will tell you, I've not thought about writing another book. It's hard work, and and you know, I've joked that there were days I'd go into my office to write, and I'd write nothing, <laughs> and like you know, and and I'd be like, uh, "What'd you get done today?" Uh, virtually nothing, <laughs> like. Now, it's the creative process. The next day, I'd write more. You know, I, I don't have a book, per se. I do think that um, if I were to think about a book, I think it's about the whole confluence of media and AI and misinformation and sort of the, 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 the search for objectivity. Um, you know, we're, um, we're living at a time when the extremes... Um, are so vocal, and 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 we we're, we're losing um, a sense of hearing the middle and hearing, you know, it's 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 the extremes that are speaking the loudest. And by the way, that's no different when I read history about how it was in this country two hundred years ago. Um, I think that there's a great desire to um, to look for solutions in the middle, and maybe I'm naive, and maybe I'm just optimistic, um, but. I would think that there's more work that needs to be done on trying to think about how we, through all facets of society, help to bring together a uh, more of a, um, you know, a centrist um, uh, focus that brings together 
all parts of society. And I'm not just talking politically. I'm talking media. I'm talking the business sector. There's there's some real um, issues that um, that need, you know, broad, uh, you know, broad consensus. So. All right. Um, well, listen, I, hopefully one day I can read your new book when you get around to it. But uh, listen, I'm so happy you came on. What a great story. So many lessons I learned by listening here today. And this is why I do it. And hopefully, you know, if one or two people uh, get something else from this. It, you know, I succeeded. So uh, thanks for being on. And I really appreciate it. Well, you're 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 too kind, John. It's it's really been a pleasure and a privilege. And um, I know I will, uh, I will I will I will see you around. Thank you for having me on your show. Hi, John Schultz here. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. Would really appreciate it if you would like, comment, subscribe, and share with your friends. Looking forward to being with you soon.